Good morning, everyone. I'm glad that you are here this morning, and welcome to Big Valley Grace Community Church through the Modesto campus in the Worship Center. Welcome to everyone who's in the cafe, as well as the venue, and everyone who's in our online campus watching online. We're really glad that you are here today. Uh, I would encourage you to pull out your Bibles and turn to the Gospel of John, chapter 12. And uh, before we begin here, I just want to say Happy Valentine's Day, everyone. Happy Valentine's Day to you. Uh, my children, my son, I have two sons that are freshmen, and one of them came to me this week and, and said, Dad, I need to interview you. I was like, all right, well, this should be interesting. And he said, I've got a paper I need to do on dating. I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, this is great. And uh, he only had a few questions. I was really hoping it was going to be a little tougher, but one of the questions he had that was just remarkable, he said, Dad, how did you know? How did you know that Mom was the one for you. And I said, well, son, it's pretty easy. She told me. <laughs> and, uh, and son, that's how it works. And it just, it, it, it's still that way. And as we come to look at the scriptures this morning, how did I know? How did I know that Jesus was the one for me? Well, he made it easy and he told me. He told me that he was the one for me. And as we come to look at the word of God today, we have the incredible opportunity for him to speak to us through his word. And so may we be listening as God wants to share things with us. He wants us to know today that he's the one for us. And as we look at John, John was an eyewitness, the, the author of the Gospel of John. He was an eyewitness to the life, the ministry, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. And John was one of the 12 apostles that Jesus chose to extend his ministry through. And one of the ways that Jesus extended his ministry through the apostle John was that he used John to actually write the material, some of the material that would be included in our Bible our copy of the Holy Scriptures, which is the Word of God. And so God used him in a unique way, using the power of the Holy Spirit to lead John as he wrote. And I would encourage you, as, as we're studying today, there are printed notes that you were handed on the way in. I would encourage you to utilize those. They'll help us walk through our passage in a logical way today. Uh, if you're watching online, you can utilize online notes as well on our website. But we're going to begin looking at John chapter 12 in verse 12. It says, on the next day, and we, because of the context, we know that it means that there's now five days until Jesus would die on the cross at the Passover. It says, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, they took branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. This is what the crowd shouts out. Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. Now, in this language that the crowd is shouting out, there's a hidden gem. The phrase, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is actually a quote. It's a treasure that has been mined from the Old Testament in the Psalms. The quote comes from Psalm 118, verse 26. However, I want to read to you the context of this quote, what comes right before and right after it, so we can fully understand what this crowd is affirming and confessing in this moment. Psalm 118, 25 and 26 says, O Lord, do save 
we beseech you. Oh Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. And then here's the quote. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And it goes on. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. When the crowd yells, Hosanna, they're expressing the content of the quote which is found in Psalm 118.26. When they yell, Hosanna, they're proclaiming, O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. The crowd is recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah who will bring with him salvation and blessing to the nation of Israel. And so they yell, Hosanna! O Lord, do save. We beseech you. O Lord, we beseech you. Do send prosperity. And when the crowd yells, even the king of Israel, they're proclaiming, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. You see, the king is anointed by the prophet or the high priest. So when they recognize that Jesus is the king, they automatically associate it with the house of the Lord because the anointing of the king comes only by the blessing of God through the prophet of God or the high priest of God. And so they say, even the king of Israel, we have blessed you from the house of the Lord. During the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, which is what this text is known as, the crowd accepts, celebrates, and welcomes in the Messiah. This would have been an exhilarating moment as the crowd understood they were welcoming to town the Messiah, King of Israel. The glory of God is being celebrated. And how exciting that is. Literally, in this moment, the crowd is waving palm branches in affirmation of Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the long-awaited, redemptive King of Israel, who would bring eternal salvation to the entire nation of Israel. We continue on in our passage of study in verse 14. It says, Jesus, finding a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And this quote here is also treasure. It's a treasure mine from the Old Testament in Zechariah 9.9, which is prophesying about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem hundreds of years before it ever came to be. In verse 16, it says, These things his disciples did not understand at the first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things were written of him and that they had done these things to him. It wasn't until after the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus Christ that God allowed the disciples to understand by the power of the Holy Spirit how all these prophecies about Jesus Christ were working together through the Old Testament. They didn't have the completed scriptures like we hold. They would have had the Old Testament. What a blessing it is that we hold the scriptures where God has woven together all that he has done so that we can see it clearly how all things were working together in the Old Testament pointing towards Jesus Christ. In verse 17, it goes on to say, So the people who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to testify about him. For this reason also the people went and met him because they had heard that he had performed 
this sign. If you missed last week, I would encourage you to go to our website and and watch the gathering from last week. Pastor Rick taught on when Jesus Christ raised his good friend Lazarus from the dead after he had been dead for four days. And this event, it stirred many people and many people were coming to see this miracle worker who had raised Lazarus from the dead. And in verse 19, it says, so the Pharisees said to one another, you see, You are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. Well, what does this mean? Well, it doesn't make much sense unless we understand the context. And we look a little bit earlier in the passage in verses 9, 10, and 11. Right after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, we read this. The large crowd of Jews then had learned that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But... The chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. So now the Pharisees, who have not yet carried out their plan, which is really a hit on two men, they are now arguing with each other. You see, you're not doing any good. Look, the world has gone out after him. In other words, what good is this? We should have killed both Jesus and Lazarus already by now. And they will kill Jesus. It happens five days after the account that we're studying today. Now the text turns away from the crowd for a moment and introduces a new group to the scene. And we find out who they are in verse 20. It says, now there were some Greeks who among those who were going up to worship at the feast. And these then came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida of Galilee, And began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And so Philip, one of the disciples, came and told Andrew, another one of the disciples. And Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. And this is where we find our object of study today, as we recognize that there's this group of people, they're known as the Greeks in the text, who come and they want to see Jesus. Or they want to learn about Jesus. Because ultimately they're trying to make a decision if they're going to follow Jesus. And that's what we can look at here today together. That you can better understand how to follow Jesus by embracing three tenets of discipleship. Now there are many tenets of discipleship. We're just looking at three that are presented in John chapter 12. But that you, that I, that we can better understand how to follow Jesus by embracing three tenets of discipleship. In verse 23... Through 25, we see Jesus begin to answer and says, Jesus answered them saying, the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. And truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. The glory of God, it includes a plan of death for Jesus. And we join in glorifying God when we accept the glorious plan of death that God chose to use to bring to us salvation. However, in this passage, Jesus talks about himself, but he extends 
this reality to the Greeks who are seeking to follow after him. And if you are here and you are wanting to see Jesus or you are wanting to follow after him, then it is extended to us as well. And it's tenet of discipleship number one. You must die. You must die. If you say, I want to follow Jesus, then according to scriptures, you must die to self so that you can find eternal life in Jesus. You see, Jesus knew that it was time for him to head to the cross. Jesus knew he was going to die. And Jesus also knew that it was a necessary element of his glorification. And Jesus also cast vision for all those who would seek to follow him. He's speaking to the Greeks, but it applies to us as well, to come after him, that death is a necessary element. It's a necessary part of spiritual growth. He emphasizes this in two different ways in the passage. First, he says a grain of wheat must die before it bears much fruit. Second, he says that a love for physical life will hinder spiritual growth. Now, Jesus unpacks this teaching further as recorded in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, beginning in verse 18. It says, And it happened while he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he questioned them, saying, Who do the people say that I am? And they answered and said, John the Baptist, and others say Elijah, but others, one of the prophets of old, has risen again. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. But he warned them and instructed them not to tell this to anyone, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and raised up on the third day. And he was saying to them all, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? There are many Christians over the years. And if you are a Christian, they are your brother and they are your sister who has given up their actual life for the sake of the gospel. 63 years and one month ago, on January 8th, 1956, Jim Elliott, Pete Fleming, Ed McNoley, Nate Saint, and Roger Uderian were martyred in Ecuador. They were killed by the very people they were bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to, the Warani Indians. They were known as the Aka Indians then. Now, many of the Warani Indians, they ended up coming to know the Lord. But Jim Elliott, he kept a journal during his time and his missionary to, in Ecuador. And one of his best known quotes is this. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. On the screen, you're going to see a picture from his journal And the archives tell us that later the asterisk and the red lining was put underneath the quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jim Elliott lived out this quote because he was killed by the very people he brought the gospel to. Death is something that all of us 
must consider, we must consider that it faces us at some moment. I remember vividly seeing my father on what my mother and I understood to be his own deathbed at the end of 2017. His brain was bleeding uncontrollably from an adverse reaction to a prescribed blood thinner. The issue of him needing to have brain surgery, which could save his life or kill him immediately, was the decision that was being discussed with my mother and the doctor, us in the room around his bed. And at that moment, I saw Pops do something that I had seen him do many, many times throughout my life. He lifted up his hands and he laid them open before God, showing his submissiveness to whatever it is that God would allow Either Pop's life would be saved or Pop's life would end in physical death and he would be instantly glorified in heaven. And the symbol of open hands that my father, who's alive today, and my mother and father are here today, that continues to reflect the heart of Job as what Job expresses in the Bible in Job chapter one, after he had lost his entire family but his wife, he had lost all of his possessions and now his physical life was so detrimented that he was failing in health. And Job said, naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I shall return there. And the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. See, our perspective on life changes as we accept the condition of death because we understand that our true life is hidden in Christ Jesus which is why the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. God may choose to place a palm branch in my hand. And what an exciting and celebratory time that is. And God may choose to place a cross in my hands. And the question that I'm forced to answer is, am I willing to have my hands open enough to allow God to place in my hands whatever it is that he would choose to place there? As we continue on, tenet of discipleship number one that we find in our passage of study is you must die. And we continue on in John chapter 12, verse 26 to find the next one. Jesus says, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the father will honor him. And this is tenet of discipleship number two. You must serve. If you say, I want to follow Jesus, then according to the scriptures, you must walk in faithful service unto Jesus, which will lead to heavenly rewards. Where Jesus is, the servant must be also. To be qualified, to be a servant of Jesus Christ, Jesus requires you to be in his presence. Now for those faithful servants of Jesus who are following him in service, Jesus explains that God the Father sees those who serve Jesus in his presence and he honors them. 
When the Apostle Paul writes to the believers at the church in Ephesus, he reminds them over and over in his letter how important it is to faithfully walk in service unto Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Ephesians 5, 8. For you were formerly darkness but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. In Ephesians 5, 15 and 17. Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So the clear encouragement here is walk in faithful service unto Jesus Christ, and you will find that you gain heavenly spiritual reward. This is a basic of discipleship. It's a basic of following after Jesus. Now the passage turns for a moment to display what happens to the crowd when they hear the plan of death that Jesus has for himself. In verse 27, Jesus is speaking. He's speaking to the Father, and he says, Now my soul has become troubled, and what shall I say, Father? Save me from this hour? But for this purpose I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And then a voice came out of heaven. I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it was saying that it had thundered. Others were saying, an angel has spoken to him. And Jesus answered and said, this voice has come not for my sake, but for your sakes. Remember, during the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, the crowd is accepting and celebrating and welcoming the Messiah. Now the crowd has a spiritual experience with Christ. They actually hear the very voice of God the Father booming from heaven to earth. And it's like in this moment, figuratively speaking, they're still waving palm branches. They're still affirming that Jesus Christ, as they've had this incredible spiritual experience, they've just celebrated and welcomed him into town, the long-awaited redemptive king of Israel, and bring an entire nation of Israel salvation. And so figuratively, they're still waving the palm branches and celebrating Jesus Christ. But then the passage turns because Jesus continues to explain his plan. In verse 31, he says, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world will be cast out. And I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. And he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. Then the crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law or out of the scriptures that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the son of man must be lifted up? Who is this son of man? The son of man was the term that Jesus loved to use about himself. He referred to himself as the son of man, the son of man. And the crowd who had just had this incredible spiritual experience with Christ by hearing the very voice of God from heaven themselves just like that turns and is now questioning the very words of Jesus as it pertains to the death of the Messiah. Just because someone hears the voice of God does not mean that they are accepting of what it is that they have heard. In verse 35, 
says, so Jesus said to them, for a little while longer, the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that the darkness will not overtake you. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may be sons of light. And these things Jesus spoke and he went away and hid himself from them. But though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. It is not enough to welcome Jesus to town. You must believe in him. It is not enough to have had a spiritual experience with Jesus where you may have heard the very voice of God booming from heaven. You must believe in him. It is not enough to witness the signs and miracles of Jesus and to walk right up to Lazarus and shake his resurrected hand yourself. You must believe in Jesus. You see, the crowd was glad to welcome in the ruling king. But they had rejected the idea of a suffering servant. The the crowd who was glad to hold palm branches, they had rejected the message of the cross. And now the very words of the crowd, they stand in judgment over them. If you'll remember, they quoted from Psalm 118. Well, it appears that they may have forgotten a few verses before what they quoted. Because here's what Psalm 118 says in the verses right prior. It says, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This, this is the Lord's doing. And it's marvelous in our eyes. This, this is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. They were, they were willing to shout Hosanna, but they weren't willing to shout the stone which the builders rejected. All the men who were there were willing to lift up palm branches, but they weren't willing for Jesus to be lifted up that he would draw all men to himself. You see, the palm branch, it becomes much heavier when you realize that following after Jesus includes the weight of the cross. Tenet of discipleship number one is that you must die. Tenet of discipleship number two is that you must serve. And now we continue on in John chapter 12, verse 44, to look at the last tenet. Says, and Jesus cried out and said, He who believes in me does not believe in me, but in him who sent me. He who sees me sees the one who sent me. I have come as a light into the world so that everyone who believes in me will not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my sayings and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. He who rejects me does not receive my sayings, has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. Tenet of discipleship number three is You must obey. You must obey. If you say, I want to follow Jesus, then according to the scriptures, you must obey the word of God, which will allow you to walk in freedom because of the redemptive work of Christ. If someone hears the very words of Jesus and does not obey the words of Jesus, then the very words of Jesus will be the judge of the person who heard them and did not obey. However, If a person hears the words of Jesus and obeys the words of Jesus, 
then that person will not find judgment in Christ, but rather they will find salvation and freedom. And Jesus emphasizes this by saying, I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. So the clear encouragement here is obey the words of Jesus and find freedom in Christ. This is a basic of discipleship. It's a basic of following after Jesus. In this very gospel, the gospel of John that we're studying, the apostle John records many, many times where Jesus speaks about the very high importance of his word. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. In John 8, 31 and 32. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. In John 8, 51, truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. John 14, 23 and 24, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word And my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. And then praying to the father in John 17, 14 through 17, Jesus says, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they're not of the world. Even as I am not of the world, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in your truth. Your word is truth. And then in our passage of study, Jesus wraps up the entire discussion with this. For I did not speak on my own initiative, But the Father himself who has sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life. Therefore, the things I speak, I speak just as the Father has told me. Jesus said, I will follow to the Father. And he knew that meant that he must die. And Jesus knew that meant that he must serve. And Jesus knew that meant that he must obey. If you want to follow Jesus, it means that you also must follow his example. You must be willing to die. Are you willing to die to self? You must be willing to serve. Are you willing to have Jesus be the master? You must be willing to obey. Are you willing to hear and respond and do the word which God speaks to you. The Greeks who Jesus was addressing, this is probably not what they thought they were going to hear that day. And it may not be what you thought you were going to hear today. But the invitation is clear from Jesus. These are the basics of discipleship. These are the tenets of discipleship. Because Jesus invites you to come to a place to where you die to self, that you might understand that true life is found only in him. Jesus invites you to come to a place to where you're willing to serve him. That you'd put aside your own interests and you'd take up his interest. That you might find that there is great spiritual and heavenly reward waiting for you. 
And Jesus invites you to a place to where you would hear his voice and you would respond to his word in obedience because he knows that when you do, that you will find true freedom living for Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to stand. We have the opportunity to sing together. Sing the words, I will follow together as a church family. And may it be an encouragement to you in your fellowship unto Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here and you're not sure if you want to follow Jesus Christ, but you'd like to talk about it. We'd love to talk with you right after the gathering here or in the venue in the altar room. We'd love to talk with you and talk with you what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ. Father God, Lord, we love you. And may what we do in this moment and may we do in all the moments after this be pleasing to you. Lord, would you encourage us in our faith to follow after you. And so we pray that you'd be honored. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and all God's family said, amen. amen.